Hello, everyone, and welcome to the next edition of Stringtime Sports. I'm your host, Nick Meacham, and I have a very special guest today joining me. But um, let's set the scene first before we bring him on, on stage. Now, if you think about major investments in the sports industry, uh, particularly over the last decade or so, you have to look towards Brewing Capital and George Pine and what they've been doing with some pretty impressive resume of companies they're working with. Now, just to set the scene, I thought I'd talk about Bruins investments to give a sense of the scale of what we're talking about. Now, before we bring on George, he's also interested to set the scene on some of the fundraising and who they're working with from that perspective. Now, Bruin has uh, described itself as an investment and operating company that specializes in working with capital partners and management teams to build best-in-class global sports, media, entertainment, marketing, and technology companies. And if you look at the list, you've got companies like Delta Trade, which they bought for a reported $160 million and, and sold it for around $900 million a few years later. Uh, they just recently announced the Two Circles sale of their investment, which uh, they bought for a reported $40 million US and, and sold it for about $300 US million. On Location, which was a deal with Redbird, they bought that business for about $70 million and sold that for 660 again, only a few years later. And they've also got investments in companies called Full Swing, which is Golf Simulators, Odds Checker, TGI, SoulSight, Proof the Pudding, and Engine Shop, which are all different types of businesses across the sports industry. Um, now, the funds that it's raised over the time has been, there's been $250 million from WPP, one of the biggest agencies in the world, and even a, a secondary fund of $600 million from CVC Capital and the Jordan Company, uh, which are obviously quite famous investors, CVC, with regards to rugby, F1, and, and a whole bunch of other sports properties they've invested into. So if you look at Bruin's, say, resume, Bruin Capital's resume, you have to see, really see that they have not only put their money where their mouth is, they've been very successful in some of the investments that George has led. And even just a few weeks ago, we saw them announce an investment to Box to Box, the um, producers of Drive to Survive, Full Swing, and the Breakpoint series, which are all uh, housed on Netflix. So it looks like they're not sitting still. Uh, I'm really excited to have George on board, who really cut his teeth in a variety of different organizations, but mainly across NASCAR and ING uh, in senior roles there. But, but we're here today to talk about Bruin Capital, uh, their recent uh, exit and also sales. So without any further ado, here's me talking to George Pine about Bruin Capital. So, George, great to have you on the Stream Time Sports podcast. Now, you have certainly started 2024 with a bang. Just talk us through what some of these these new announcements that have come to life, both your investment into Box to Box and obviously the exit on Two Circles. Um, what's the logic behind, behind those two moves? Yeah, no, thanks a lot, Nick. Great to have, be here. and Thanks so much for having me. Um, you know, on, on Two Circles, look, um, Gareth Belch and the whole management team did a fantastic job in creating a lot of value at Two Circles. You know, my, our primary job is to generate returns for our shareholders. And so uh, we were able to do, uh, do that. Um, and, you know, we had a lot of, did a lot of great things there. We, we took a little more risk, meaning we were a little more aggressive in the deals uh, than they had been prior. We made investments and we had geographic expansion in different territories. The United States, Australia, and others. So 
it worked out really well for us. And we're, you know, we're excited for the management team, excited for the company and excited for our, our shareholders. And then, uh, of course, on box to box, you know, kind of when you start thinking about Ronaldo and, and Messi and those guys having like 500 million social media followers, you know, athletes today uh, are more and more influencers and media is being consumed in so many different ways. And so we've always wanted to get involved with the media company. And we had the good fortune here of partnering with Box to Box. Uh, James and Paul are uh, incredible talents, have done an amazing job. And so we're very excited about being part of the journey with them moving forward. So like you said, we're off to a, we're off to a good start. We gotta, we gotta keep it going. You know, the business I'm in, uh, what you did yesterday really doesn't matter. It's only what you're doing moving forward. So we don't rest on our laurels. Uh, too much here. Absolutely. So just reflecting a little bit on the two circles, uh, relationship, the journey that you went through with them. Um, obviously, I'm someone who's followed two circles right from the, the beginning point. Um, good friends with Matt Rogan, who was one of the co-founders and, and followed their journey. And it's been pretty incredible to see their expansion and the impact they've had across the industry. What was it that made you decide to invest in a company like that at the time? Because at, the, at that time earlier, fairly, it was mid to early stages. And looking at some of the investments you, you guys have made, you've invested in some very impressive businesses that have a great track record. And two circles, I wouldn't say they had a great track record, but probably at an earlier stage in life cycle, perhaps to some of the other investments, if I'm, if I'm not off base there. So just talk me through what, what made to, the decision to a sort of invest in more of a, a management professional services company uh, versus some of the other investments you've made. Yeah, um, a couple things. One, you're right, it, it was a little early stage for us, but we had worked with them on uh, Overtier and Game Pass, and we got to know them really well. And I was just really impressed with what they, the way they approached things, the, the way they worked. We got to know uh, Gareth and Matthew Entwistle really well, and we, we were just really impressed with those guys. The other thing was we look at growth segments, and I really believed and still believe that data is a growth segment. And so I saw what they were doing with data. I saw what a good job they did on uh, Game Pass, you know, marketing to people directly, subscriptions to Game Pass, and you know what turned out to be 181 countries. They were really good at it. And so I really felt the category of data, and I just got to know the people really well. It gave me a lot of confidence that, that we could build and grow the company. And you know, quite frankly, they exceeded our expectations, which I think when you look at it just at the highest level, you have a really good category data, and then you have a really good management team. And when you have those two things put together, I think good things happen. So I think, uh, you know, that was kind of the thought behind it. And it, it's exactly how it worked out. Now, they've definitely been influential across uh, a lot of key markets, particularly in the UK and Europe, which has been screaming out for more professionalism, let's be honest, more, more business, business expertise. And that's really been something that they've really brought to life in those markets. So so why now? Why why decide to to step away from the two circles um, relationship? I know there's always difficult to choose when's the right time in, in terms of from an investment perspective, but why did you decide to, to move out from move from move away from the business now and let Gareth uh, find another partner to work with? People ask that it's a good question. People ask it all the time. You know, it's a partnership between us and the management team. And when you reach a certain level of success, um, I find that the everybody involved wants to realize success. And so I think we had just had a lot of success and people wanted to realize the success. Quite honestly, 
in the journey here at Bruin so far, that's the exact same thing that happened at On Location and the exact same thing happened at Delta Tray. And even Overtier was uh, very successful. My experience is that when everyone involved in the partnership, you realize a lot of success. People want to want to realize that, actually realize the success. So I think we were just at a point where we had a lot of success and it was time to kind of um, realize it for everybody involved. And, and, and ironically, in, in all those situations, I've been always in the more reluctant guy because uh, I'm an operator at heart and I kind of love all this stuff. And so it's hard to, it's hard to let go. But, you know, the everybody's got their goals. And, of course, I have shareholders and what people – need to know, I guess your listeners, you know, I have to go to these people. I have to ask them to believe in me. I have to share with them a vision and I have to ask them to take a leap of faith. And so when you're in my shoes too, you have a real responsibility to those people that have given you uh, financial support for them to do well too. So it's, you know, I have to think about them. I have to think about our team. We have to think about the management team. And so far, it's always been everybody's kind of came to the same conclusion at the same time. And, and that's great because I don't feel like anyone was forced in a certain direction that they didn't want to go. And so I uh, look and the fun part for me is I stay friends with all these people. So, uh, you know, John Collins is CEO of On Location. We're going to lunch here in a couple of weeks. John Piero is one of the founders of uh, Delta Trade calls me every Christmas Eve. And I was, you know, Gareth, uh, I, I know we'll be friends for a long, long time. And, and even, um, you know, even the guys at, at Overtier. So, you know, as I tell everyone, we're all on a journey. We're lifelong friends and uh, that's not going to change. So um, I'm excited to see what Two Circles does. It's a great company. I'm excited for Charterhouse. I'm excited for Gareth and the team. So you, why don't look at and reflect on some of the investments you've made? I want to talk to, about the box-to-box um, investment in a second, but some of the investments you have made across the industry, What start when you start piecing them all together, what stands out to me is a, it really feels like an, a broad spread of companies across the entire sports business ecosystem. I'm guessing that wasn't by accident, Georgia, but tell us, talk through us what, why you've made some of those decisions to invest in businesses ranging from, you know, design and experiential agencies through to betting solutions to digital transformation partners, golf simulators. Just talk us through what your, your, your playbook, I suppose, is on why you made, have made those investments over the years. Yeah, I mean, I think what you, we've started with is, is the business underdeveloped? Do we believe that that business can be more either through opening up new markets by deploying capital, uh, in, opening new markets is tapping into our our global network. I mean, what we've really built here at Bruin, which was existed uh, at, I, you know, th- it's 30 years of hard work, where, you know, being at IMG was in 30 countries. So we have a global network and can our global network benefit that company? And really when you say global network, it means opening up new markets, opening up the United States, opening up Australia, now even opening up Europe, as odd as that might sound. So we're able to take companies now to Australia, to America, and to Europe. My favorite is uh, we have a company in Australia that signed up the Giro Italia, you know, as part of our, our, our network. So can our network influence the outcome of that company? Now, it's two things. One, influence the, the company to accelerate growth, but also as a bit of an insurance policy if things don't go the exact way that you had planned. And that's kind of worked out both ways, you know, for us. So to me, it's a good insurance policy and it's a good offensive strategy. Then the other thing we look at is 
and we've gone really more growth and more, hey, look, media is changing. Let's invest in the change in media. And so when you think about data in two circles, that was the change in media. When you look at Delta Trade, that's the change in media. Even when you look at TGI and virtual signage, that's the change in, in technology. Full Swing is a technology provider. So when you start looking at us, we're lo really looking at, hey, technology is changing. Um, how is that influencing these businesses? And does it have a, a tailwind? So if you have a category that has a tailwind, and then you have real added value by us, to me, then that, that becomes exciting. And the last, I guess, I guess the cherry on the cake is a great management team and good leadership. And so when you put all those things together, you know, good things, you know, good things happen. And so that's kind of how our thinking has evolved. You are right, Nick, though, that when I started this, would I have believed that we would be as global as we are? No. Is this what I thought it would be? No. Um, you know, we have people on the ground. I don't know the latest stats, but I think it's like 16 countries and we do business in 51 countries. And when I started this, did I, would I believe that that would be the case? You know, absolutely not. But it was it evolved into tapping into our network. And of course, the network growing up in America, running a federation in America is strong in America, but it's also pretty strong outside America. And so uh, that's really been the value add for Bruin. In addition to, I like to think that we're pretty decent people to work with, very streamlined. And, you know, when I, I meet the companies and the CEOs, I always say the only person you'll always deal with is me, which is true. So that can be good or bad, depending on what you think of me. But I stay involved with the companies, you know, till the end. And the last thing I would just say is, yes, you know, proof in the pudding on location. Those were not tech related, but we felt those are businesses that were really had real growth potential and that we thought we could add a lot of value to. One of the things I look at and reflect uh, before coming on this podcast, George, was that looking at the, the level of investment that is coming into sports, there's a significant amount of money coming in different areas, in, from different areas and into different places. But what, you, what Bruin have done is I feel like, I don't want to say carved out a niche, but, or, but it's more they've, they've carved out their own space where there's a lot of investment from different funds and other properties into teams and clubs and leagues and trying to get a piece of that commercial pie from a, from a league-wide perspective. And you've got a lot of people trying to work in that startup space and trying to take bets in, in short, to try and uh, get the best returns they can. There doesn't seem to be a lot of players really investing in into the ecosystem itself, investing into sports businesses that can drive the industry forward, like particularly like Bruin has. Why do you, do you think you agree firstly? And, and why do you think that's the case? You know, I, I agree. That is kind of the, as you said, we'd better say that area we've carved out the niche, but nevertheless, you are right. I mean, I think that is really kind of where our differentiator is that we're really investing in the in the businesses around sport than investing into the federations or clubs themselves. And, and you're right. I mean, there's a massive amount of money being invested into the clubs and the federations, which from what we're doing is actually a good thing because it makes uh, performance and in, in in excellence in the companies around the sport more important to pay off for those investments. So it's actually a good thing. And, and you know why there aren't more people that do that? I do think, you know, the background's unique when you think about it, right? You, you ran a federation, worked for a private equity guy for nine years, running a company that was in 30 countries with vast lines of sports business. 
is a unique opportunity. And so bringing that skill set in and, you know, I have to give credit. The guy was tough, but I learned a lot from Ted Forsman. You know, I, I, I went in his office or he came in, truthfully, he came in my office every single day I was there. And so I learned, I apprenticed uh, around him. And, you know, I, I have to give credit to some of the guys that, you know, Bill France, uh, John Portman, Ted, Ted Forsman. I, I had, I worked for great guys and I learned a lot on the financial side, which complements uh, the, the sports operating experience. So I think that background was a little bit unique, which allows us to play in a space that other people, you know, you might have somebody else that was, has operational experience, but maybe not a, as much financial experience. You might have someone that has a lot of financial experience, but not as much operational. And then, you know, somebody, you know, Bruin right now, we have 14 advisors all around the world. And so we really do have a global, a global network. And, and, and so that's kind of a unique background that gave us this kind of place that we're kind of at right now that we, you know, are there people that we compete with from time to time? Yes, but it's never the same person. We never see, you know, the same person. And we do a lot of our stuff bilateral, not in processes where we get to know the management team. We like them, they like us, and we, we figure it out. So with box to box in the box to box investment, God, a bit of a tongue twister for me. Um, what's interesting about that business is they have been, what they have done so far has been truly transformative to uh, the properties they've worked with because of they found again a, a gap and an opportunity with what they did with say drive to the drive to the five series has obviously caused huge a huge momentum shift with regards to F1 and its uh, ability to engage new audiences. And most people both in F1 and around it will say that that was one of the driving forces for their growth and interest from a younger generation of fans. They've also recently done full swing and breakpoint series for tennis and for golf. It seems like one of the questions for me looking at them is uh, wh what is the next step for them? So they, they're getting someone like you guys on board. Uh, one of the, the, the lines I think you use is to be flexible with the capital investment to try and drive growth for these these uh, operators that you're working with. How does a business like that that is come out of the, the, the gates uh, pretty quickly, how do you keep momentum with something like that in a market that has seen a lot more people come to the come to the table with ideas and documentary series and those types of storytelling opportunities around this space yeah so again it's you know i'll use two circles and compare them back and forth so one you have a really good management team two you have a really good product right i mean like i said media is uh exploding right and so when i look at things like spring hill media omaha productions here in the u.s uh creating enormous value i see box to box as somebody that has the potential to be like those other entities so i think it's a great category to be in. And when I was here in the U.S., I can't, I won't manage the, the commissioner's name, but, I, you know, I often go around and ask friends for advice and they say, man, we really think media is going to explode short and long form content. We just think it's going to grow and grow and grow. And, you know, that, I know that lunch in August, it wasn't lost in, in, in my mind. So I think the category is really good. I think the management team's really good. So those, are, you know, if you think about Gareth, really good management team, data is a really good category. Media is a really good uh, category. Uh, James and Paul are really good uh, executives. So then now you sit there and say, well, what about us? Well, we've got a global network, uh, although they're pretty penetrated, but we think we can add to the, the network. And also just like two circles, when we work with two circles, when we started, they were primarily fee-based and we started taking uh, more risk, meaning lower fees, but more upside. And we started investing capital in, in some acquisitions and in, in new businesses. So I think, 
on the, and it worked, right? And so the same thing I see here with Box the Box, where we can in, invest capital in projects where before they might not have been able to invest capital in those projects. We might be able to do acquisitions now with Box the Box, where before they might not have done those acquisitions. So having capital at their disposal in terms of making investments on projects that take risk or to do acquisitions are new tools for box to box that I think can help accelerate their growth. And lastly, again, opening up our, our global network. So those three things, when you marry with a good category, with a good management team, just like we did with two circles, we hope that's a recipe for good things to happen. George, you mentioned that you're hearing and seeing, you know, the growth of media sort of exploding in terms of, from a consumption perspective, I'm guessing, but we're also seeing across the industry um, some challenges, particularly for the lower tier sports properties, less so for the top tier, uh, around media rights revenues. So, so how do you think? Uh, what do you, what's your take on kind of that that dynamic or that by polarization, I suppose, of massive increase in media and engagement and consumption happening across the world, across all platforms, and some of the challenges of some sports properties with recent use, not all properties, but some properties struggling to tap into that and drive effective revenue and uh, revenue from it which historically media rights has been the primary revenue driver for a lot of tier one and tier two sports properties until this point yeah so it, it's kind of a tale of two cities on the one hand linear media is changing right and the financial model on linear media is changing and that financial model was very attractive to sport and that's probably going to keep changing it's not going to go away but it, but it's going to change and so that they're going to have less money to invest in everything, and that's gonna have some impact, and as you point out, having some impact on sport already. Now, the, the, the new horizon for sports will be short, uh, short form content, which really has no limitation. And also building a direct one-on-one -on -one relationship with consumer through data, I think really is the new frontier for sport. It's gonna take a long time, I think 10 years, to really get to that place where I have a relationship with you, the consumer, I'm sending you, and again, that's where Gareth and those guys are well positioned. Like I understand data. I'm going to be sending you news, information, content, offerings that are specific to you. Uh, and I think that's the future. I'm even looking, you know, at virtual technology that you're going to have customized advertising someday uh, in streaming uh, events. And so I think it's, you're going to go to a more customized space and be thinking about terms like lifetime value of the consumer which you're not thinking about, you know, today. So there'll be a whole new frontier for everybody, but it'll it'll be a transition to getting that in that frontier. And that transition could be bumpy because as you said, the linear rights, while not going away, may not be have the robust growth that they used to have. So we're we're at the beginning stages of that transition and we'll have to see how that, you know, all plays out. And lastly, you know, a linear linear television sports is invaluable it's by far the most valuable thing on linear television some of these uh, direct platforms you know amazon for example you know they're in a whole bunch of different industries and they're already building the one-on-one -on -one relationship with the consumers so sponsorship for uh, media for amazon might not be as critical as it might have been for sky or for fox here in the states and so that is something you know, we're going to have to navigate through. I mean, when you look at, you know, on the positive side, look at what happened with Netflix and TKO, uh, you know, that's a, a, a streamer now going into sport. Why? Because sport's going to really drive results for those streamers. 
but the margins in streaming are different than they are in linear media. And so the opportunity might not be the same in streaming, streaming that it was in linear media. And sports is invaluable in linear media, but probably a little less valuable in streaming media. And so it's navigating that change. But in that change, I have the one-to-one -one off offering that I never had before. And I'm probably got a lifetime value. What's the lifetime value of a Liverpool fan? Pretty good. What's the lifetime value of an all, uh, all Blacks fan? Pretty good. What's the all -time value, lifetime value of an Alabama Crimson Tide fan? Pretty good. So there'll be a whole new channel of commercial opportunity for clubs and federations, and we're in that transition right now. Interesting, George. I'm conscious we've got, got a couple of minutes left, so I wanted to jump quickly into the NFL, and particularly one of the most impressive parts of what you've, even, you've intimated and talked around was the, the relationship with the NFL uh, and the work with Overtier and, and the Game Pass proposition. Obviously, what's been interesting more recently is now they've, they've done the deal with DAZN to shift towards a completely different trajectory, I suppose, and really owning the first-party relationship to start sharing... Uh, taking a nice big check and uh, handing over those rights basically uh, for the platform uh, to a third-party network. What's, what's your take on that? I mean, for me, it looks, the Game Pass is one of the best products in, it was one of the best products in the market. Um, it's probably one of the most advanced in terms of being in the market for a long time as well, which helped it develop. And the shift that they've taken, the NFL, to put it into the DAZN platform, and in the same way the Netflix have done with WWE, I suppose, shifting a big piece of... Um, very fairly premium rights into a streaming platform feels a bit counterintuitive in some instances to what the market dynamics are showing about what for how fans are consuming live sports. What's your take on on particularly the NFL's approach with something like the Game Pass uh, proposition? Yeah, no, like I was really proud. Of, you know, Game Pass really grew uh, under our under our, our leadership, and you know, we went we were awarded sixty countries and ended up with one hundred and eighty one because of the performance. So I was really proud of what we did there. And it was a great investment for us. So we're happy with that. I think, look, I think the hope was the zone, they're going to have to refine their direct consumer offering. Uh, they're, they're global. And, you know, they, there was a healthy, uh, healthy financial incentive there that, uh, that was probably hard, hard sure. to pass up and God bless them. God bless the NFL. I can't blame them for taking it. So good for the NFL, good for the zone. I think that offering within the zones package is uh, really valuable. And so it's probably really good for the zone and really good for the NFL. Um, and then again, on the, on the Netflix and TKO, I think, you know, give those guys credit at Endeavor. They're pioneers. They, that's a big deal. Uh, that's something a lot of people thought would never happen, and it did. And I really think the, the gist behind that is that consumer base of the WWE and the loyalty of that consumer base. Obviously, Netflix saw a lot of value in that. And I would think it's good for sports because it's not the only sport or entertainment vehicle that has a very sticky and valuable base. So sports are always going to be valuable. There's nothing like it. They put big audiences together with engaged consumers that are brand loyal. And so it's always going to have a high value proposition. We are going to go through a little bit of a change here, but that's changes, you know, change is part of life. And uh, I'm sure, you know, look, we went from the newspaper to the radio, to the TV, to the internet, who knows what's, uh, we've got the sphere out here in Los Angeles, uh, in, in Las Vegas, who knows what's next, right? Absolutely. So look, final question for you, George, to, to wrap things up. You guys haven't been afraid of doing some pretty big deals. And you also haven't been afraid of taking taking those exits when the opportunity arose. What's next? What's next for you guys? Is it business as usual looking for opportunities and continue to raise funds and, and generate more money for your investors? Or is there a different approach or pivot we could expect in the future? 
I think for us in the, in the short run, we'll continue to look to add uh, new companies. And then in the long run, we'll be looking to do, you know, continue to do what we're doing and we'll, we'll see where that takes us. It could be some new opportunities for us in that regard. So look, I'm, uh, I'm going to keep working for, I'm at this, I want to do this for another 10 or 10 or 15 years. So uh, I'm not going away. I love what I do. I love the business. You know, you're talking about a guy that grew up loving sport, came from a family of sportsmen and, uh, Loved the, and got to work in a business that he loves. So uh, I don't see that changing anytime soon. Well, look, George, I really appreciate you finding some time in what is a very busy schedule for you at the moment. Lots of deals happening and no doubt looking at your next big opportunity. Um, look, really excited and uh, thankful for what you guys are doing for the industry because I do think that the industry does need more and continued investment in that sports business ecosystem to keep driving the transformation and those opportunities you've talked about. So look forward to seeing what's next from, from you and from the Bruin team. All right. Well, thank you so much, Nick. It's great to be here and, and hope 2024 is a great year for you and uh, your sports bro. Before you go, myself and Nick would just like to thank you for tuning into this episode of Streamtime. If you found the episode insightful, please make sure you like and subscribe on whichever platform you listen to. As a growing podcast, we'd greatly appreciate your support in sharing or writing a review. Ultimately, we want this podcast to not only entertain you, but also hopefully help you navigate the digital sports landscape. If you have any feedback on previous episodes or any topics and speakers you'd like to hear from in the future, please don't hesitate to reach out. You can find myself and Nick Meacham on LinkedIn or on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at SportsProChris1. Nick can be found at SportsProNick. Of course, if you want to stay fully up to date on the sports business news cycle, please make sure to visit the Sports Pro Media website or sign up to one of our several newsletters to make sure you don't miss anything. Once again, thank you, and we look forward to you joining us next week on the Streamtime Podcast.